Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson, joining us as always... Zach Schneider and Troy Hensley. Today we're going to be talking about Iron Man 2, going back into our backlog of the MCU. Yes, we've been talking a lot about the MCU, but there's a lot of movies and shows to get through. So yes, we're going back into phase one of the MCU, continuing that particular marathon. But first, let's just do a quick check-in. Zach, how you doing today? I'm doing just dandy. How was your uh, your birthday was this past weekend? How'd that go? It was fantastic. Uh, both my mother and my sister and basically my common-law brother-in-law arrived in town. And so we all hung out, had a great time. Yeah, didn't do much, just was nice to get to see everybody for a long time. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Troy, what'd you get Zach for his birthday? I wanted to get him a stripper, but he said no. The <laughs> stripper was so cute. He was amazing. He looked like that built Dracula you remember from Blade 3. He was <laughs> but Zach said no, and I decided, well, might as well not let it go to waste, and I used him. Well, as long as, as, long as you uh, didn't have to return your purchase, you know, go through all that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you gotta get what you gotta get your money's worth, okay? <laughs> Troy, how's your week been? Uh, it's been good. I've been, I've been in front of the computer almost all week, staring at the screen, getting edits done, finalizing my feature length, and then now I'm editing a movie called A Model Human. It's about a Swedish model that lives in LA. It's pretty freaking awesome. I'm having a lot of fun with that. Great, that sounds like a lot of fun. Glad you're keeping busy. Things with me have been good. Uh, my brother and his husband uh, were in town this this past week, so it was great to see them. And they they just they just flew back up to the Portland uh, area where they live. So. Nice, great, great to see them. You know, hang out hang out with family this past weekend. And uh, all right, let's go ahead and get into some pre-show topics. Here's a big one. Scarlett Johansson sues Disney. Why? Um, this is something that's been unfolding over the past couple weeks. Uh, so we're by the time this airs, like maybe some new developments will have happened. Although these lawsuits tend to move pretty slowly. So what it comes down to is Black Widow. It was in Scarlett Johansson's contract that she was going to get a certain percentage of the box office from Black Widow when it came out. Of course, Black Widow did not release in the way that it was assumed it would because of COVID-19. It was not only delayed more than a full year, it was delayed. It was released wide in theaters, but it also was, they did what Disney's been doing for a lot of, for most of their movies lately, which is the same day premium streaming release, which is Disney Plus subscribers can pay an extra $30 to watch it at home. Scarlett Johansson and her representation are arguing that the uh, streaming release has cut into the box office that would have been made for the movie had it only come out in theaters and that if Disney was going to release it in this way, they should have renegotiated the contract to include the streaming rights, which they basically kind of use as like, oh, well, the contract said only theatrical. They didn't say what happens if we don't. Just release it theatrically, so... And that kind of opened the floodgates. Emma Stone is actually uh, taking uh, actions to do the same thing for her movie Cruella, which released by, from Disney as well. I don't know, what what, what were you guys' take, takes on this? This is a very kind of tricky legalese kind of matter going on. Well, as far as legalese is concerned, from 
what I've been seeing on it, it's not that tricky. Uh, they breached contract, and they did not offer to renegotiate in any manner the contract before they breached it, so legally speaking, that's on them. Now, as to whether or not it was the right thing to do, I do think it was actually right to have it released in streaming as well as released in theaters, as it is, especially with the variants that are coming up. I think the there's one that just came, a variant of uh, COVID came out that's actually starting to be resistant to the vaccine, which is worrying. But uh, with the variants and the fact that the vaccine has been stalled by a large number of people who are refusing to take the vaccine, it is still a difficult and dangerous situation to have these sort of public gatherings. Do I think that, you know, it would have been wise to still release it in that way? Yes, but Disney should have renegotiated with Scarlett Johansson on this. Again, the main part of this is not, you know, whether or not it was, you know, released in theaters. The main part is really the breach of contract. The fact that they did not try to renegotiate. They did not try and consult her on this. They unilaterally decided they were just not going to go ahead with that part of it. Well, okay, well, what what exactly was the breach of contract here? Because, like, my mm-hmm. understanding from what I read was simply that the contract said that she gets a percentage of the box office receipts, which she is getting. Mm-hmm. It was completely unprecedented that part of the profit from made from the movie would be on streaming. I think it would have been the right thing to do to have renegotiated that, mm-hmm. but... I'm actually not sure that it, that the contract was breached. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be completely honest. It was. The thing is, is when you go into a SAG contract with an actor, we're protected on any movie, any money that you make on our image, and they are not paying her on the streaming end. That was not worked into the contract, and it should have been worked into the contract if they were gonna release it. I make SAG movies for YouTube. Now, if I make any extra money. As a SAG actor, if I make any extra money on my production end, I have to spread that out. I have to spread those royalties out because those royalties are ours. We've earned them. So what Disney is saying is that it didn't mention anything about streaming, so we don't have to pay that. And what she's saying is, yes, you streaming has cut down the sales in the box office, and that's cheated her. Out of a lot of money. A lot of money. She's going to go a while without a job. I mean, she may not, but she's going to go a while without a Disney job. I don't want to be one of those yelling and screaming actors right now. Because I don't know the complete whole detail. But the main detail is that they're not paying her for the streaming amount they've made. And she deserves that. She does deserve that. But you're absolutely right, uh, Sam. You could actually argue that since it's not in the contract, they don't owe her anything on that. And there has been no breach. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's, a, it's a difference between, like, I know like people like to call, oh, this is definitely a breach of contract when they feel that she deserves the money. I feel that she deserves the money from the streaming. And I think that, you know, given the fact that they did a simultaneous release, that she should get the same percentage from absolutely that, that she would have gotten from the box office receipts. I get like, the, I, I'm just, I'm just making the argument. I, I feel what you're saying. It's like, yeah. 
just because something isn't right and just because Disney's being jerks and screwing her over doesn't mean that there was a breach of contract. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Because, again, the contract literally doesn't mention anything about streaming. It just mentions box office receipts. And yes. she, is, she is getting those. Having said all of that, I am in support of her making this lawsuit. I still think that the original, the spirit of the original contract was done under the assumption that the movie would only be released in theaters at first. And that the streaming would come months later, as it usually does. So I, I think I just think when when the circumstances behind the release of a movie change, the right thing to do is to go ahead and renegotiate that. I do think that Scarlett Johansson has a case. I also genuinely think Disney has a case. I, I honestly I think that they they really do both both sides of this really do have have a case here. But again, it's 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 a very tricky and kind of murky situation, but. Emma Stone also is, is, is now that the floodgates are open, she, she's doing the same thing for Cruella. So if nothing else comes of this, this is going to make Disney like they're, they're not going to try this shit again. Even if they win the case, I don't think that they're no. going to try this shit again because it's a very bad look for them right now. You know, if they continue to release movies in this way, they are going to renegotiate the contract. And it's worth noting that um, Warner Brothers with HBO Max has been doing the same thing. Over the past year. There's a difference. But they actually did renegotiate their contracts. with, with Yes, their exactly. They did. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's that's actually one point that Warner Brothers has over Disney at the moment. Yes. Warner Brothers is much better at their contracts. I kind of disagree about assuming that Disney would take a lesson from this. Previously, they've pulled similar shit in the past. So this is not the first time they've pulled this shit recently. Uh, when Fox uh, was bought out by Disney... They made the stellar, amazing, absolutely, completely fucked up and out of nowhere argument that they only bought the rights to these properties and these contracts. They did not have the obligations, which, as anyone would tell you, is complete bullshit that makes no sense. But that is what Disney argued. They will always, always try to find a way to screw someone out of their rights and money and make just a little bit more because they are Disney they are a monopoly, they can get away with it. And they frankly know that their image is going to be restored within months, no matter what they do. All right, so it says, and this is quotes, Disney intentionally induced Marvel's breach of, of the agreement without justification in order to prevent Miss Johansson from realizing the full benefit of her bargain with Marvel. The suit alleges... After learning that Black Widow would also be available uh, to stream, Johansson's representative attempted to renegotiate her contract according to the suit, but Disney and Marvel did not respond. They were not letting them renegotiate. So they left them no other choice but to take that negotiation to court. No, that that's the thing. It's like, look, when, when your top, you know, marquee actress from the movie you're releasing, when her representation reaches out say, hey, the circumstances changed, maybe we should renegotiate the contract. Yep. You don't ghost them. Like, no. you at least enter these negotiations and they, yes. they could have... They could have avoided a media shitstorm by just sitting down and having that conversation. Absolutely. With Scarlett Johansson's representation. Now, it's been reported that Kevin Feige, this then this is kind of a small side note, but that Kevin Feige, who is kind of the, the, the head of the Marvel division of yes, Disney. Basically the showrunner. Is actually on Johansson's side and is, yes. is apparently mm -hmm. from the beginning was kind of urging Disney to 
you know, renegotiate, and they just they yeah. just weren't listening to him. That now there's a chance there might be some bad blood between Feige and the Disney leadership, which... <laughs> before all of this came out, before the lawsuit and everything, it said that Kevin Feige was upset with Disney for releasing it without negotiating each one of his talents' contract. He released mm-hmm. a statement saying that he was upset with that. So he was kind of pushing them to go to Disney and say, hey, we got to talk money. I'm glad to hear that. Kevin Feige always yes. seems like he actually is is um, totally awesome. He, t- he tends to be, he tends to be in the, on the side of his actors. Like he, like yes. he likes his he likes his his big Marvel actors, and he he always tends to advocate for them. Which I'm, I'm always he's happy an to actor's see that. director. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I just hope she gets what was promised to her. Mm-hmm. That is same my hope thing. as well. Same, thing with, same, Emma same with Emma Stone. I hope they don't. Mm-hmm. I, I know a uh, Jungle Cruise just came out. I'm not sure if they they renegotiate anything with either Dwayne Johnson or Emily Blunt or anyone else. But hopefully, hopefully the same thing doesn't happen with them. Or if it does, like again, Scarlett Johansson doing this has opened the floodgates, and now mm-hmm. everybody who's being screwed over by Disney right now is is coming forward, which I'm which I'm happy to see. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you have to be the first person to kind of take you that do. step. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. There was also a new trailer for Dune, directed by Denis Villeneuve, the, the latest adaptation of the book mm-hmm. Dune. I have not read the book. I have not seen the old movie. And I did not watch this trailer because, like, the more, the, the closer we get to this movie, the more I'm like, you know what? I don't want to know anything. I don't even, I, I saw the first trailer. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what I'm going to say. If I happen to be in a movie theater and this, new Dune trailer plays in front of it. I'm not going to, like, walk out of the theater. I'm going to watch the trailer. I'm going to watch the trailer in that context. But I just kind of don't really... It's because I am excited for the movie is why I'm not doing much in terms of watching all these trailers. But, I don't know, are are you guys, like, I'm really excited for this movie, not even because of the source material, because, again, I don't really know or, frankly, care all that much about Dune, but, like, Denis Villeneuve is one of my favorite filmmakers working today. Mm-hmm. And anything that he comes out with, I'm like, yes, give it to me. Mm-hmm. I want to see it. And the cast for this looks incredibly stacked and awesome. So mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just looking forward to seeing what the hell this is going to be. What do you guys think about this movie in general? I don't think we've actually talked about it on here yet. I, I did read the book, and I think that it looks incredibly faithful to the source material, which is extremely difficult. A lot of people have tried, but Denis Villeneuve is, if anyone was going to be able to pull it off and make it work, it it would be him. Absolutely would be him. And I am excited just because I do love him. This cast is stacked all to hell. And this, this looks like it's going to be an epic. I, I like it. So I'm, I'm interested. I would like to say, though, I've noticed the big difference in this Dune and the other Dune. The thing is, is the original Dune made careers. <laughs> Robert England and and what's-his-face, uh, the guy who played... A, a lot of the horror people came from, from that movie. Who was Paul in the first one? Who, who the main guy was Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. Who did Twin Peaks after that? And yeah, he was he was the main guy on Twin Peaks. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that movie made careers. Mm-hmm. It was phenomenal, and everyone you see in the old Dune, they're superstars now, mm-hmm. but they weren't then. Mm-hmm. This new one is chocked full of A-listers already. 
And I enjoy things like that, don't get me wrong. But something like a sci-fi movie or a horror, one thing that excites me about it is going to see new people. And this doesn't really have a lot of new talent in it. It has old talent that's been doing it for 10 years. I mean, I love Zendaya. I absolutely Mm -hmm. fucking love her. Don't get me wrong. But I want to see new talent. I want to see films make careers. I'm tired of seeing them kind of leech off of people's celebrity already. So that's where I'm at with that. But I'm still going to go fucking watch it. Yeah. Troy complaining that, oh, this cast is way too famous for me. (laughs) (laughs) What? I already know and love all these people. What the fuck? (laughs) I am excited to see uh, Timothy Chalamet play a lead in a sci-fi like genre movie because he's he's been in a lot over the past couple years. He's been in a lot of these like these straight dramas or these kind of Oscar baiting Uh movies. I've been wanting to see him in a movie like this. Like let's let's have him be the lead in a nerd shit movie. You know, like yeah. A movie, a movie we're probably actually going to talk about on, the, on this podcast. So it's 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 going to be fun to see him. And, and, and I he, agree. He's yeah. He's he's a really great actor, and I think it's going to be I fun agree. to see him as as the lead. All right, let's go ahead and move right on to our main topic: Iron Man Two. Spoilers start here for Iron Man Two. So if you haven't seen this movie, go watch yeah. it and come back. Or if you haven't seen it in a while, since like Troy apparently forgot the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> I I gotta say, I was excited about Iron Man 2 until I saw my grandma Mickey Rourke on screen. I was like, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I thought Ben Kingsley was in this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Mickey Rourke is the first uh, topic. We're going to talk about some of the new characters. And he's our, our main our main antagonist of the second one is Ivan Vanko slash Whiplash, played by Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke doing his best Russian accent. Uh, I don't know. What do, you guys, <laughs> what do you guys think of Whiplash? A little bit wasted potential in my opinion. So he's not terrible. He is one of the more forgettable. He is definitely that. But he's actually not terrible. I do actually think Mickey Rourke might not have been the best choice, if only because there's some moments that are, like, should be more affecting, but, like, come off a little... Yeah, like, the first scene where we see him and his father is passing away and grieving, and he screams to the heavens, that was <laughs> one of the most unintentionally funny screams I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't... I felt bad, really, but it's like, I don't know, this, this is not... This is not the saddest sound I've heard in the world. This is not the sound of a man's heart breaking in two. This is the sound of a uh, toaster slowly sliding down uh, in between two cabinets. <laughs> 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 On paper, I really like Whiplash. Uh, I like the idea of there being a person who is every bit as brilliant as Tony Stark but who did not have the opportunities, did not have the experience of growing up with resources, with, you know, natural acclaim. It is kind of unfortunate as the movie went on, and I'll get to this later, but it is kind of unfortunate as the movie goes on and see Tony, like, constantly, constantly indulging in the excesses of being a enormously wealthy man who got all that wealth because his daddy was an arms dealer. And he was himself an arms dealer for several years, too. It would have been nice to have Tony have more of a reflection on that and a little more empathy for Vanko as well. And that never happened at any point in the film, which was a massive wasted opportunity. It was always just, oh, no, he's he's crazy. He's a prison guy. He 
was a real bad dude who went to prison and was probably a traitor or something. I don't know. We didn't actually check that carefully. But it makes the protagonist seem exceptionally careless and a little bit heartless to people who are outside of their own personal family. And there could have been a lot more explained with him, but there wasn't. He did have a couple of good humor moments, especially his interactions with uh, Justin Hammer. Um, two very, very different people. But overall, I felt that this was a lot of potential that was unceremoniously killed off and kind of felt like he did not have much of an impact on Tony's life in the end. So, uh, what about them uh, lightsaber whips, huh? <laughs> what about that? <laughs> Fucking awesome? <laughs> Those are cool, yeah. <laughs> You had me at lightsaber. The one thing I'll say about him and the casting of Mickey Rourke is that when like he looks fucking awesome, he like I think I think that his his appearance is really cool, and it even kind of plays into the fact that it's Mickey Rourke with these big yes. you know lightsaber whips. It's like he yes. looks cool. He really does. Mickey Rourke is a beautiful human being. I mean, if you look at him at a non-binary standpoint. I'm not saying that he is. I'm not trying to say any of that. But he is a beautiful human being, physically, I think. And his attitude and the way he performs as Whiplash. Mickey Rourke put a lot more into this character than was written. That's my feeling. I think that he did a phenomenal job. The story is what it is. You can only do as much as the script allows you to do. But Mickey Rourke went above and beyond, and he actually made the character... I'm not going to say the character is likable on a standpoint of liking characters, but you feel for this character, you know? And he did a phenomenal job at, at doing that, at making me care for this character that people usually wouldn't care for. And the scene where he's walking out and he strikes up those lightsaber whatever, I'm not going to change the uh, vernacular on that one. There is... <laughs> whip lightsabers to me because of the way he <laughs> chopped those cars in half. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> but the way he walked out and the way he threw the, the weapons in and then the shirt just burns off of him. And he's kind of like reborn as Whiplash. So you managed to get your shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> it was a phenomenal scene. It was It was a great introduction. And in this movie, we have Tony going up against someone that's supposed to physically match him. But not only can he physically match him, he can match him mentally. I don't know. It, it's not one of my favorite movies. It's, it's not one of my favorite Iron Man movies. But the villain in this one makes it for me. Because we have this stupid bullshit over here with Pepper Potts and... That bullshit can go away. But he wasn't well written. But the actor, Mickey Rourke, if anybody else had played him, it would not have been good. It would not have been as good as it was. It's it's yeah. just something different. I'm kind of in the middle between you guys. Uh, but actually leaning more towards Troy. I, I, I enjoy this character. I do think in terms of the overall like villains of the MCU, he's one of the middle ones. Like he's not mm -hmm. he's not one of the worst ones or one of the best ones to me. I think I think he's like the movie itself, he's a little forgettable. I actually am with you, Troy, and I'm I'm actually gonna kinda put push back a little bit against Zach your comments. I'm like I don't know if I feel like he was miscast. I feel that, that Mickey Rourke actually does do a good job in this 
role. I, I, I actually like his performance more than I like the writing of the character. So I, I completely agree with you on that, Troy. I think that he actually does bring a lot to it. I actually do surprisingly buy him as both the, the brawn and the, the brains of, of this, this kind of character. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I felt for him when his dad died. I, I didn't think that was, I didn't, I didn't find that funny, but, you know, it was whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a horrible person, so. Yeah, uh, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I think the character is fine. I just think the movie glosses over a lot of stuff, especially in regards to his dad. Yeah. And like, I... I want to touch on the, the, the Anton Vanko thing for a second, too, because, like, there there's kind of a throwaway thing that Nick Fury says where it's like, oh, you know, Anton Vanko just sh- just saw this as a way to get rich. And so, you know, went back to got kicked back to Russia. I'm like, is, that's the only explanation we're given for the falling out between yeah. Howard and Anton? because like, not what Howard Stark ex- did Exactly. That's what I was thinking. It's life. like. Like, wait a minute, is Howard Stark really going to give somebody shit for, oh, you just see this as a way to get rich. What the <laughs> fuck have you been doing over the past, you know? <laughs> and, and if that was meant to be a pointing out of Howard Stark's hypocrisy, I don't think that the scripts made that clear at all. Yeah. But it's just, I don't know, there's just a lot of things in, in this the, the script. Randomly, this movie was written by Justin Thoreau, which is so random to me, but... Um, <laughs> I, I just, I feel like, um, I guess maybe he's written other movies, but like I mainly, I mainly know him as an actor, but there's just a lot of things about like kind of the, the backstory behind both Ivan and Anton that are just really vague and confusing and just don't really, yeah, I, 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 I never really thought of it, Zach, what you said about how you, you kind of wish that Tony had been more empathetic towards Ivan. I never thought of that before. But now that you say that I agree with you, I think that that would have helped this movie a little bit. I think that, again, most of this movie feels very surface level to me. And I think that that kind of goes to the fact that there's just a little too much going on in this movie. I think I think they just jammed a little too much yes. in there. Yes. I, I'm just going to comment on the, the Speedway fight scene that you just touched on, Troy, where he does reveal himself as Whiplash for the first time. Really cool sequence. I'm just yeah. going to say that. I think, it's, I think it's one of the better fight scenes in the movie. Um, like I love like him, you know, tearing through the cars, tearing through Tony's car, and then you know, Happy is driving the wrong way down the speedway, and then gives get like like the whole time they're trying to get this suitcase to Tony, and you don't know at first what the suitcase is, and then it turns out to be an Iron Man suit, which is like it's it's just a really cool moment the first time you watch this movie. So I will I will give props to that particular sequence. He looks cool. He really like I know I said that before, but like, I, I, there are problems with oh, him. But but Whiplash Whiplash is a cool looking bad guy. And that I, is I, I do th- I honestly do think the casting of Mickey Rourke kind of contributes yeah. to that. You know that that it's face and look. that you know yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I actually agree with that. Even also the blonde the- hair I thought was nice. Of course, I don't know what the. Ca- comic book character looks like closer to the way that he actually looks at the end of this movie but less like less like a blatant copy of an iron man suit like he has like a head to toe like he has a helmet and a mask and everything oh so it's more it's more like the the end of the movie where he does that but in the movie they made it look more like an iron man suit because it's kind of the same technology which i mean that's kind of another thing and i'll I'll touch on that since it's, it's still kind of on the subject of whiplash like it does get a little tiresome, even just in the second movie, that, like, okay, here's another villain that made another version of an Iron Man suit, you know? It's like, this this one, like, it looks a little different, it has the whip still, which makes it feel like Whiplash, but it's like, 
it just feels a little like a similar beat to what happened with Obadiah Stane in the first movie. Uh, yeah. Again, another Iron Man versus Iron Man yeah. battle, you know, good Iron Man versus bad Iron Man. And now we have sidekick Iron Man in this movie, too, so... <laughs> the comic book look kind of looks like they mixed uh, Shredder and Casey Jones together, and he has yeah. he has the blonde hair. I just pulled it up, uh, yeah. so he looks pretty interesting. Yeah, but yeah, Mickey Rourke would. I don't know his uniqueness. The the way he looked, I think, really brought a lot to that character, and the way he approaches yeah. scenes. Well, I want to get into our the secondary villain of this movie, which is Justin Hammer, played by Sam Rockwell. One of my favorite actors, Sam Rockwell. Yeah. I think that this character more consistently worked for me than Whiplash. Like, there were times where I really liked Whiplash, and there were times I didn't. Like, I think Justin Hammer worked for me more consistently. I like how weird he is. I like, like, he's actually the source of a lot of the comic relief in this movie comes from, comes yeah. from Justin Hammer. But it's again, it's another case of, I think that the character, frankly, the weak writing at points is very much elevated by the actor. I think this character yes. works because of Sam Rockwell, yes. is, is yeah, my honest opinion. I agree. <clears throat> I'm not entirely certain how true this is, so you're going to have to take this with a grain of salt or possibly, you know, a salt lick that you would give to a cow. So I've read somewhere that Sam Rockwell had stated that he was playing this as a character who was not entirely certain whether or not he was in a rivalry with Tony or if he kind of was just obsessed with Tony in a way. You can tell that. He didn't exactly even know what kind of obsession this was himself. It's like, am I in love? Do I hate him? Do I want to be his best friend? I don't know, but I think about him constantly and I'm going to weirdly emulate him in a lot of ways throughout my life. Yeah. So it's not a coincidence, I think, that he's kind of like the Walmart version of Tony Stark. He's... Yeah. Not as brilliant as he thinks he is. He's not as rich as Tony is. And he's not as charismatic as Tony. But he's trying to be all of those things mm -hmm. um, yes. all the time. And Sam Rockwell played him beautifully. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic foil in a lot of ways. As Despite, again, being the Walmart version, he's still kind of where Tony was at the beginning of Iron Man. Where he doesn't have his yeah. own... He, he hasn't found his own moral center yet. Um, he hasn't yeah. been locked in a cave with Jensen. Yeah, I think that he's a he's an interesting character, and he really did work as a good foil, in my opinion. One thing about the final fight scene that I do want to point out that I find hilarious, which is that, yes, a lot of Justin Hammer's ideas and technology sucks, but I will point out in his defense that that last missile that he made, the what he called the ex-wife, was designed to be <laughs> artillery, and they were firing at it like 20 feet away, and it's apparently a smart missile, so it probably worked exactly as intended. They were supposed to back up and fire it from a lot farther, farther back. I feel like it's, it's Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Galaxy Quest pops in my mind whenever I think of him, and that line between him and Tony Shalhoub, uh, maybe you're the plucky comic relief. <laughs> and that's what I think of every time I see Sam Rockwell strut his stuff on on scene. Because Sam Rockwell does not walk. He struts. Yeah. <laughs> he struts better than anybody I know, except for maybe me. Um, he's a beautiful peacock, and he gives me the giggles. And I agree with you, Sam. He brought so much to this character. The, the writing mm -hmm. was a little flat. But his mannerisms, his voice... Uh, the way he reacts to people around him, Sam Rockwell went to bat and hit a home run. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I also want to talk about what the actors bring to these characters for both Whiplash and Hammer. I was just reading that each of these actors brought a lot of the things that actually ended up being incorporated into the screenplay. Like, it was actually uh, Mickey Rourke's idea that his character would have a bird, would would have a pet bird and stuff. <laughs> that was his idea. It was It was Sam Rockwell's idea that Justin Hammer would always be eating dessert the entire time that he's on. He's, yeah. always, eat, he's always eating like a lollipop or ice cream and stuff yeah. like that. And I love the fact that they really incorporated those, those ideas. And th- those to me are just examples of like how much each of these actors brought to these characters. That really wasn't honestly much there uh, or, or, yeah. before, before they kind of put their stamp on it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. With, with Hammer, it's also like, you, you, Zach, you're saying that he he's almost feel, feels like the Walmart <laughs> Tony Stark. Like, it's true. I think that also one difference, like, and yeah, you, you definitely feel that he is trying to be Tony because Tony has, like, even Tony before he has his, you know, come to Jesus moment in the cave. Come to Jesus moment. Before that, he definitely was, he, he had that swagger, he had that cockiness, he had that arrogance. It was so effortless from him. Justin Hammer feels like he's trying to be those things. So you could feel yes. the effort of him trying to be those things. Yes. Which is, that's that to me is is one of the big differences uh mm. between those. But yeah, I just I love Sam Rockwell so much. And J- Justin Hammer is actually a character who I keep hoping they bring back at some point. I know there's a show coming out called Armor Wars on uh, Disney Plus which I think I think would be a good place to mm. bring him back. I don't know if, <laughs> if that's actually going to be the case, but I think that would be a good place to bring him back. Yeah. We were just talking about the Black Widow movie and Scarlett Johansson. Of course, this is actually the first time in the MCU that we see Black Widow played by Scarlett Johansson. Uh, coming in, played by... Uh, coming in, pretending to be the uh, like a new assistant working for, uh, for Stark. And, of course, she does turn out to be an undercover S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. What, what do you guys think of her overall introduction in this film in the MCU and the way she's used in this specific movie. I know we see her a lot of times after this, but thank God for Avengers. Cause this movie did not a goddamn thing for her. Like I kind of got this impression the first time, but on rewatching it, she was literally just a sexy badass with more emphasis on the first part and didn't, she didn't have much of a character. Like, you know, as is a common theme throughout this movie of actors having to bring a little more to the characters than was written. One of the only moments that I really felt like there was an actual human moment featuring Black Widow uh, that made her interesting was the moment right before Tony, you know, had his drunken rave at the party when he asks her, I was like, yeah, if you were having your last birthday, if you knew it was going to be your last birthday on Earth, what would you do? And she very briefly drops out of her persona to tell him, it's like, yeah, I'd do whatever the hell I wanted to. It's like, okay, I felt like that was possibly the actually the only line in the movie that was the character of Natasha Romanoff. And the rest was just very surface level. I, I don't know, I was, I was not impressed with the writing. No issues with Scarlett Johansson, just... I. I do not think she was handled well in this film. I feel the complete opposite. Oh, okay. And, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to really argue or anything. But I feel mm-hmm. the complete opposite because I feel like she was in spy mode, mm-hmm. and I felt like she was giving Tony what he what she thought he wanted to hear mm-hmm. and see, because he was such a womanizer. He was known as such a womanizer. 
So I felt like she was in spy mode, except for that same exact moment. Um, that same exact moment that you were talking about was when she dropped her guard. That's what I felt like. That she was like, I think I can actually talk to him. And then she buttons that guard right back up. I see what you're saying. I had never thought of it that way. And I was like, oh, interesting. Um, and I, I feel like she was spy girl at that moment. I would have liked to have seen more. I would have liked to have seen more moments like that where she dropped her guard. And I think that that would have probably given you a better thought on the way they handled Scarlett Johansson. Because let's face it, this movie came out in 2013? Uh, I think 2010, actually. 2010. Ten years ago. They were still writing female superheroes the same as they were writing female superheroes in the 90s. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. So I, I think that we... We're just seeing something a little different come out. And I think that Scarlett Johansson is the one that brought that out. Mm -hmm. I could see that they were still developing in their writing and they got these care. They got these actors that were playing these characters and they were going to be playing these characters for 10, 15 more years. So they developed them themselves. And I think a lot of the genius came from the actors, but uh, I could see where that one moment is the only shining moment of, of Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow in this movie. I'll say this, and I, I actually largely agree with both of you guys in a lot of ways, that, like, my main thing... Okay, first of all, and and I'm I'm sorry to say this because I know that these characters shouldn't be sexualized and all that, but Scarlett Johansson, yeah, for some reason in this movie in particular, is hot with a capital I don't know. <laughs> Just in this one in particular, I don't know what it is. And maybe it is because she's more hypersexualized, but like... Uh, so they're going for you. Yeah. yeah like, that not is. that she isn't in, in the subsequent movies, but there's something about her specifically in this one for me, but... But that's her job as a spy. That's no, her that, job that, as a that spy. Is, that is what it is. Yep. But, um... She's 007, bitches. I hear what you're saying, Troy, about how you would have liked to have seen more of her. And I'm gonna be honest, I just think with everything going on in this movie, I just don't think she needed to be in this movie. I think that her entire involvement in this movie was kind of pointless. I agree with what you're saying, Troy, about how she was in spy mode. And I, and I, 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 I justify the way that she acts in this movie because of that. She's just... I, okay, I, I guess... If I'm going to say one thing about the fact that she's in this movie at all, it did introduce us to the character in a way where she could still be mysterious and we could find out about her mm-hmm. through Avengers. And that, that way it's like, you know, we meet her in Avengers. She doesn't come out of nowhere. We know we've seen her before. Because by the time we get to Avengers, all six of the Avengers we've seen in some capacity at that point. You know, f- four of them have gotten their own movies and two of them we've seen in some capacity. I don't know. I I just I don't think she needed to be in this movie. I I think she's kind of superfluous. That's 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 my honest opinion. I don't start to like Black Widow until Avengers. I think that they were just setting the seed for her to show up later on. But like I I also think that a movie shouldn't be a movie shouldn't feel like a trailer for another movie. And that's kind of how yeah. I feel about Iron Man two. Sometimes I feel yeah. about that very strongly. There are all trailers for the next one. They need to be strong on their own, and like the characters need to be in there for a purpose, other than just like I like I hear I hear what you're saying, Trey. Like, there's always these little like post credit scenes and stuff like that. 
But this movie in particular just felt like it was a combination of like a filler episode of a TV show and just we're just introducing things that are going to come back in Avengers. Like it, it didn't it doesn't feel like a meaningful movie to the overall story of Iron Man. And to be honest, I think the, the entire involvement of S.H.I.E.L.D. in general is a little bit kind of pointless, to be honest with you. Like it's great seeing like the full introduction of Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. We only saw him in a post credit scene before. And so like he's an actual character in this movie. But then, like, there's this whole thing of, like, oh, I'm kind of putting you under, you know, a, a sort of a house arrest, and Coulson's going to watch over you. They do a terrible job of that. And then two the two scenes later, Coulson's like, all right, bye. Like, what was the point of even Coulson being in this movie? Like, he, he actually did nothing. <laughs> also, I'd just like to say that the house agents that were supposed to be keeping him under house arrest absolutely failed to prevent him from leaving the house. <laughs> Yeah. At any point whatsoever. And I'm like, man, you guys are, you are absolutely terrible. I j- also, I just realized something that really begs the question. At some point, while he's under house arrest, when he's building the particle accelerator in his basement, which is, that, that's stretching things a little bit, even for Tony, but while he's building power accelerator in his basement, he opens up a crate with particle accelerator parts. There's a couple of major questions I have here, which is one, this is still only taking place over a couple days, so is there just like a company that's like, oh yeah, we, we express ship particle accelerator parts custom made, don't worry about it. Two, we find out after, you know, once once everything finishes, once he gets the new vibranium heart, that uh, apparently he was also not able to make calls outside of the house. So how the fuck did he order a custom made particle accelerator part to come to his house? There's a lot of questions about this part that could have been made a lot simpler by not having S.H.I.E.L.D. be involved and instead just having him realize that he needs to work this out by himself. Well, you put a lot more thought into that package delivering particle accelerator parts than I think anyone else who's ever watched this movie. Like, that is not something I ever would hyper-focused on, but okay. I'm also <laughs> fairly certain the writers of this movie didn't notice that either, so. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm certain they, I'm certainly they didn't, but it's still just, honestly, Zach, you're the only person I know that would have thought about that detail. You re- you really are. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that I should be complimented. Though. Yeah. <laughs> There's two words that covers every order or every every internet problem that you ever run to from movies during that time. Dark web. You don't even have to explain it. You just say dark web and everybody's like, like, oh yeah. I was just accepting that if he has has internet access at all, that he was able to order it. And yes, it was express order because Tony Stark is low. He can get anything immediately because he's Tony Stark. Yes. He's a billionaire. That's pretty much the way I view it, but... I never even really gave that any thought. That's a good question, though. I, I like those thoughts. No, it is. It's a good question because it's so hyper specific. It is never something I would have <laughs> would have occurred to me. But if I were the director, I'd just say dark web. Don't ask any more questions. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the point. It's like I don't even I don't even consider it to be that much lazy writing because like it's such no. a, it's such a tiny thing that like who the fuck cares? Like yeah. that's that's really what right. it is. But <laughs> with chewing gum and rubber bands. Uh, Tony Stark can build a supercomputer, so, you know. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The last thing I'll say about Black Widow is, even though I don't think she should have been in the movie, I will say that the hallway fight scene with her is actually pretty awesome. And it's actually probably my, it's actually probably my favorite fight scene in the entire movie. It doesn't even involve Iron Man. And I wish that this exact scene had been in a different movie. (laughs) 
Is, is my is my honest <laughs> thing, but it's a great scene. It's a really really cool scene. Just the fight choreography and the way it's shot is just really awesome. That's fair. One of the big conflicts in this movie is Tony's dying. His palladium heart is slowly poisoning his blood. This seems like kind of a weird direction to go in for the second movie right out of the bat, but I guess he does yeah. have a radioactive element in his chest, so I guess it tracks, but. I don't know, what do you guys think of this whole storyline? Well, Disney could not give him an STD and still mm-hmm. keep it the rating that they wanted to, so they had to do something. I don't think it was Disney yet. At this point, this was like right around the time that the buyout happened. Yeah. It was around yeah. 2010, I think. So, I don't know if they were involved in the development stages yeah. you know now i have to go back and find out when, when that bio would happen because that, that's actually a good question because i know that they were not involved in iron man one at all but it was definitely disney by the time avengers one came out for sure yeah so this is kind of lifting from a storyline that happened in the comics called demon in the bottle where tony develops severe alcoholism except they decided to for whatever reason they decided it's like, oh, no, we can't have our hero develop alcoholism or real disease, so we'll just give him a fake one that makes him have high blood toxicity and makes him act drunk and weird all the time for some reason. And then we'll have one scene where he gets drunk at a party. But other than that, we're not going to... It's blood poisoning, not alcoholism, that he needs to solve. And it's totally not his fault. It's not a character defect. It's just his heart doing it. And I'm like, motherfuckers, Iron Man... Even in the first movie, one of his appeals is that he is a flawed character. And one of the benefits of the comics having that storyline is that, yeah, it's a flaw. He develops an alcohol addiction, and then he overcomes it eventually through help and family. So if you're going to do that storyline, that doesn't make him a lesser character to have that particular flaw. But it does make for an awfully boring fucking movie to have this be your plot line, but not, like, commit to it. Instead, invent a fake science reason that he's going through all this instead. Um, and I do also agree that it's weird to have the second movie be it's like, all right, he's dying and he has to worry about his legacy. It's like, what, what legacy? He has one movie. God. Yeah. Well... Legacy is ultimately kind of the main theme of the. If, if this movie has a yeah. theme, and I think that the themes of this movie get pretty muddy, but it's it, the theme is meant to be legacy because it's about yeah. what he's going to leave behind and what his father left behind for that for him. And there was a kind of a cool parallel with him and and Ivan of Ivan kind of being in the legacy of his father, but it just wasn't really focused on enough. Yeah. I feel in that case. I agree with you, Zach, that I've always felt that it, they should have actually gone for the alcoholism being being the... Now, I, I, I didn't get the sense for myself that, and I, I might have been reading it wrong, but that his blood toxicity was, was actually mind-altering in any way or causing him to act drunk. I kind of just thought that it was one of those things of, oh, I'm dying, so I'm just going to be fatalistic and self-destructive, you know, in, in my tendencies. That, that might be well part of it as well. Like that was that was that to me was the, it, it was more just the kind of nothing really matters anymore. So I'm just gonna whatever. I'm just gonna mm-hmm. like, like like just give it even more worse than usual, giving into his self destructive impulses. I'm gonna drive in this race. I'm gonna get super drunk at my birthday party. You know, it's just like whatever. It's I'm dying anyway. So it's just uh, it's reaction. like a coping mechanism. To to it, yeah. is how I read it. Yeah. 
That's that's how I I, I didn't view it as his disease was actually causing him to act differently, uh, other than just the effect of knowing that you're dying has on your mental state. Yeah, I think that was a natural reaction. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's how most people react when they hear they're gonna die. You have so much uh, so much time to live. People usually react in a well. I'm gonna do whatever in the fuck I want to do, and they usually self destruct. Uh, because they want to go out on their own terms. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Doc Holliday. That's how he reacted. He was told uh, you got consumption, and he refused that he was uh, to die laying, coughing in a bed. So he went and became a gunslinger, and lived through all that fucking bullshit, and ended up dying in bed anyway. And we see that in Tony. So it's it's a natural reaction. For people to do that. Well, fuck, I'm dying anyway. I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. I mean, at least they didn't say, well, you got cancer. But they did give him cancer. You know, mm-hmm. it's... Whenever I watch movies now and they're like, oh, you got cancer, ah, that's just a plug and a and an easy way to get to what you need. It's a writing device. And that's ultimately what this was. It was a plot device so that we could move Tony along on the development that we needed him to develop, you know? Yeah. Plot devices. Gotta love them. I mean, I did it, like, if we're gonna say Tony's dying, having it be because of the palladium core in his chest, I genuinely did prefer that over if he just randomly got leukemia or something like that. Like, that, yeah, that was absolutely. that was better, yeah. Like, because yeah. that, that at least, like, kind of makes sense. Like, again, he has a radioactive metal that he's carrying in, inside his body. Like, it made sense, but like I, I still agree with you, Zach, that I, I would have preferred that they actually gone the, the alcoholism route. And he's he is shown to like, you know, in this movie and the previous one, like he drinks a lot. So like I feel like they they, yeah. they, they established the foundation for him to kind of have that struggle. And it would have been interesting and ballsy for them to to have really done that. But they, they again I, I, I think that it was it was, they did kind of you know, pussy out by basically uh, just saying, oh, and he's dying, but whatever. Yeah. Tony, like, kind of uh, having this this journey with his father, you know, watching the old newsreels in this film, I've always found that it's really weird that there's this kind of resolution to this whole story, this whole, like, conflict of, oh, I'm dying, oh, but my father left behind this legacy for me, and this legacy that he left behind happens to be the exact thing I need in order to not die. It's like, yeah. that's kind of convenient. It's like these these stories that almost don't really feel all that connected. Like, you know, oh, wait, no, this thing ends up being the exact thing that he needed to <laughs> you know, to, to not be dying anymore. I don't know. I, I, I always thought that, was, that, that whole storyline just felt kind of messy to me. But Throughout all of Tony's movies, Tony struggles mm-hmm. with his father's legacy. And this is just one of those ticks that adds to that because Tony believes that his father cherished his inventions more than anything, but his father made those things for him to have a better life. You know, so it, it's part of that. It's, it's part of that. This is a trailer for something else. We're going to show you down the road. It's, it's the way George Lucas writes. It's the way a lot of it's, it's formula writing. Let's leave something in there that we can come back and pick at. Well, actually, that aspect of what you're saying, I have no problem with. I actually like, I I think that him kind of uh, grappling with that legacy is something that should have been in this movie. 
I honestly do. I just think it's a little convenient that, oh, I left behind this element for you to discover. Like, it's like, there's no way that his dad was going to know that he would be dying from palladium poisoning in the chest. Like, I, I know the idea is supposed to be like, oh, I left behind this new element for, for you to discover one day. But it's also like, okay, did he really know that his son was going to grow up to be a super genius? Like, that's the other thing. It's like, his son is, like, four years old at that point. Like, I don't know. It's like, it, it just it just is really weird. Like, like in movie, earlier in the shoot that Howard was doing, Tony, like, randomly saw part of the model and tore, tore it apart because <laughs> he's a dumb kid. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's the kid you currently have faith in? I mean, I can exactly. understand you, like, <laughs> I can understand you realizing something later, but it's like, right now, you have no evidence whatsoever that your child is a genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what if Tony grew up to be, like, a basketball star or something like that? It's like... <laughs> well, then you break their legs and put them back in science class. <laughs> yeah. No, I have hopes for you. You go back to science. You stop messing with that basketball. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where I, I do like the evolution of Howard Stark's character over the course of the series, but in some ways, I do think it would have been better to just have him be a genuinely bad father. That have him be exactly who he is. Is an arms dealer, a technologist, a, you know, very big corporate man who just never spent time with his son. As Tony said, never told him he loved him to his face. Apparently he was able to do it to a recording. In some ways, I think that that would have been more interesting. Just because Tony is not that. Um, he does have more of a heart. If I want reality, I'll call my bad father. Instead, oh, yeah. I'll go see Marvel and I'll see a good dad. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I don't know if I agree with that, Zach. I, I actually, I actually like I that kind of tender from. moment of, you know, Howard being like, you know, my greatest creation is and always will be you. It's like, I, I like the idea that he puts something in a recording yeah. that was something that for whatever reason he's not capable of telling Tony to his face and that which is yeah. still very much a character defect from Howard so he's definitely not a great father but like we're like I, I think that it definitely should have been a part of this movie that Tony finds this recording of you know Howard actually telling him look you you are my you are my greatest creation like it's essentially finally Telling telling him that that he loves him, yeah. which which he never apparently did in life. I I also like it because to me it's one of the few genuinely to me emotional moments in this movie is is him yeah. saying that. I just yeah. think the whole thing of him leaving behind the blueprints for the element and stuff like that. <laughs> that I, I kind of don't think that needs to be. It goes to the fact that like that Tony dying didn't need to be a part of this movie. I think the whole discovering yeah. the new element didn't need to be part of this movie. I really yeah. don't. The only thing that discovering the new element resolved was the palladium thing, which was introduced in this movie anyway. That's a lot of my problem with that, is that the only problems that are solved in this movie are the ones that started in this movie, too. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's it's like if Tony like goes back, like if, if, if we're doing like an alternate universe version of this movie where he is struggling with alcoholism, it would have been like there is a moment where he's watching the newsreels and uh, Howard is getting drunk while he's trying to do this stuff. Like it feels like all of the ingredients were there for that <laughs> of, you know, Tony watching like, look what look what this did to my father. And I don't want to become that. But then also seeing like see buried in the footage is is a message from Howard to Tony, which may be like. Maybe even kind of urging Tony. Maybe it could have been something where Howard is just urging Tony, like, "Listen, don't don't become me," type thing. Yeah. Um, be better than me. 
I th- I think it would have been really kind of a powerful thing, and it would have been a a, a a motivation for Tony to actually you know get clean. You know, like uh, it, we could have had you know Pepper also. Get- I only think it's kind of weird that Pepper literally doesn't find out that he was dying until after he's not dying anymore. Yeah. Like in this movie, it's like uh... <laughs> she didn't even suspect. I guess. <laughs> well, it's not even just that. It's just from a narrative standpoint. It's like it, that. That it, it's it's a part of the whole thing that just makes that whole story feel so throwaway. It's like we didn't even deal with any of the uh, the the fallout from from Pepper knowing this. It's like she's like, "What? You're not dying anymore. You were dying." It's like. Yeah, maybe, okay, if we're really going to do this storyline, she actually probably should have found out before he was better. I don't know, it's yep. just it's just so weird. This whole storyline of him dying is just weird. Everything Pepper and Tony is just bullshit. Uh, in these first couple of movies, it's... They force it, and I like the idea of her being with Happy, like in the comics. I don't understand why Tony needs a constant girlfriend. Hero it's, needs love interest. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's one of my pet peeves. It really is one of my pet peeves. No, I Why don't can't like Pepper either. have her own fucking life? Why can't she have her own fucking story? Why does it have to be Mrs. Tony Stark? Fuck that shit. She can be her own person. You do you, Pepper! I don't know. I think she's her own person. <laughs> I, I do actually want to, now that we're on that so- topic, I do want to jump to that. I mean, what do you think of... Uh, I, I actually really liked Tony making Pepper the CEO of Stark. Like, I thought that was that was one of those, like, kind of overdue, I like that, too. Like, she was basically doing the job previously. I wouldn't even say overdue, because, maybe overdue in universe, but, like, this is this is the second movie out, so, like, I, I like the fact that this happened and that happened then, because... I, I like that, too, but she didn't have to fucking sleep with him to, to get the goddamn job done. She was already ready for the job. <laughs> they didn't have to get together. I, it's just one of my pet peeves. Give her her own story. She doesn't have to be on the arm of the man. I I like them together. I actually do. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like well, their, that's, I like that's, their that's what matters. especially like going forward. I mean, I think that like them actually getting together in this movie. I'll say is I'm actually glad they got together in this movie because like otherwise like like it would have been j- just drawing out the will they won't they for like multiple movies. It's like no okay like we know we we whether you like it or not we know that she's there in part to be the love interest for Tony. So if that's gonna be the case, go ahead and put them together. Like don't drag this thing out. I do think that them actually getting together just feels like, again, just a random blip in a movie that just has way too much going on. But I like a lot of their, their the, the stuff with Tony and Pepper uh, after this, after these first two movies. So I'm, I'm glad that they, they went ahead and got them together. But I don't know. I, I think Pepper kind of helps to keep Tony grounded, you know, going forward. And I, I, I enjoy their relationship and their, and their chemistry with each other personally. I don't know. I kind of have a mixed opinion on that. It's like I do genuinely like their relationship. But it also occurred to me on this rewatch that that relationship works almost as well if they're just weirdly BFFs as opposed to in a romantic relationship. And I know they do really genuinely have good chemistry, but the thing about them is that they are, in the first movie at least, Pepper was one of the only people Tony could be Tony to. And this movie fucks with that a bit because he's not himself to her. He's not open and honest with her. And I'm like, that's the basis of the relationship. That's the reason <laughs> their chemistry works so much in the first one, in my opinion. But anyhow, um, I did also like her being CEO. It would have been nice to like see how other members of the company reacted to that in any way. Like, we see her make a few decisions. We don't actually see how those decisions play out. So we know that she's 
busy and trying to get stuff done as CEO, but we don't actually see her flourish because we don't see what happens as a result of those decisions other than, of course, she's, you know, flummoxed and, you know, has a hard time with the job near the end, which is also strange because, again, this is the job she was basically doing this whole time. Um, she was already doing most of the CEO duties. The only difference is that um, she doesn't have to wait for a random whim of Tony, Tony's to come by in order to actually get stuff done. You um, said she duties. Can sign the paperwork herself. I like their relationship a lot. I do think that, again, in the first movie at least, they helped ground each other. In this one, they kind of were just driving each other insane, but I blame that on the writers. And I do think that the fact that they got together in the end is not necessarily bad, but like you said, it's, it's rushed. They're... A good, like, half of the plot lines that were started in this movie should have been, like, cut. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, I like that they got together in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think that, that it just wasn't executed well within this movie. But I like that they did get them together in this movie. Because, again, I, I just, I prefer that over again than just continuing to drag out the, that will-they-won't-they they over the course of multiple movies. And, and I hear what you're saying about how it's like, oh, the relationship didn't have to be romantic. But, I mean, why not, though? Like I know that's kind of my that's kind of my argument. It's like you can easily say like why do, why does it why can't it be romantic? But I don't like her and Tony together. It's like you're the main girl in this movie, so you're gonna be with the main guy. There you go. I, I don't argue. You just do it. I understand that it's it's the formula. I know you love your formulas, Troy, but. <laughs> 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 you are right. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think that that like just them together or not, I think that that's that's just a, a taste thing, you know. Like I don't think I don't think it's it's inherently good or bad. Yeah. But uh, I I do agree that them them getting together in this movie could have been better executed. But I like the fact that they come together, and I and I I just I enjoy seeing the the, the, the continued development of their romantic relationship over the course of of, of these these over the course of this series going going forward after this. And I also hear what you're saying, Zach, about how you would have liked to have seen more of the, the, the kind of ins and outs of her being CEO. I just think, you know... Not even the ins and outs, just some sort of actual reaction to her decisions at any point, even once. Okay, that's Never fair. Came. That's fair. Okay. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Maybe I, even I just... happy saying it's like, oh, yeah, actually, she's got a much better benefits plan. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, and I also hear you, Troy, about how in the the comics it was Pepper and Happy who got together. I just think that the, even coming from the first movie, the way they set up both of those characters, we just don't really get any inkling that there's anything going on between the MCU no. versions of those characters. Yeah. But I hear you. Like, I think her ending up with Happy would have been more interesting and more unexpected. So it would have been interesting to have seen that version of it. But at the end of the day, like, j- just the overall arc that Tony goes on over the course of these movies of, you know, eventually, like, wanting that family and what happens with him in Endgame, I-, I think that him ending up with Pepper just made more sense in terms of the story that they were telling in this overall movie franchise, in my opinion. So I want to go back up to uh, Rhodey. Uh, first of all, Don Cheadle plays Rhodey in this movie. Yeah, it's me, Tony. Get over it. Let's move on. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, his, it's his first line. <laughs> And I think we may have touched on this when we talked about Iron Man 1. I mean, but just as far as Don Cheadle in general, as opposed to Terrence Howard, it was jarring to me the first time I watched this movie. And for a long time, I'm going to be honest, for a long time I actually had had a preference of Terrence Howard. But I think that a lot of that had to do with the fact that I had watched the first Iron Man movie a lot of times before this movie came out. 
Like I would, I would just like ad nauseum watch the movie. Like I just, I just really cemented Terrence Howard as Rhodey in my mind, and I really like Terrence Howard's Rhodey. I actually really do. And Don Cheadle just had such a different energy that it was a little jarring for me at first. I still liked him even the first time, but when I look back, I, I, I ultimately prefer Don Cheadle. But again, it's kind of the this, this same thing in the opposite direction. Of, I've now had multiple, multiple movies to cement Don Cheadle as now being roadie in my mind. So, And any thoughts just on the recast in general? He asked for more money, and Disney didn't want to give him more money, so Disney replaced him. Yep. <laughs> Even if Disney had nothing to do with this, Marvel made that decision. Yeah. Yes. And they were like, well, you can be replaced. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, for the sequel, you do need to ask for mon- more money. It's just the way it is. Hey, if I'm coming back for this, I do need I do need to have a little bit of money. Um, Terrence, Terrence Howard has wished no ill will towards any of the other actors, and apparently um, Robert Downey Jr. didn't know anything about it. Some t- people will say, ooh, Robert Downey Jr. said he never wants to work with him again. That's not the way it went down. There's no bad blood right. between the two of them. Uh, they, they've publicly said that together. That there's no bad blood between Don Cheadle and Howard. Howard says that he's upset because they didn't, because they didn't pay him what they wanted to pay him. But it is what it is. Sometimes you gotta ask for more money, and if they can't give you what you asked for, you gotta walk away. Just is what it is. And at the same time, if someone call, uh, comes and asks you, hey, can you replace this other actor playing, playing this character? It just didn't work out. Are you going to say no? Are you? I would blame the actor for saying no. You know what? They approached. Uh, they approached Tilda Swinton to play the character when she knew the design wasn't going to be too good, but she didn't turn down Doctor Strange, and that's the way it goes. You know, you can't blame the actor for accepting it because if they don't accept it, the next person will accept it, and they're out of that deal. Terrence Howard, he was good. But we only got to see him in one movie. Terrence Howard is a phenomenal actor. He's amazing. People bring in the domestic violence thing, and Disney uses that as an excuse so that they didn't have to pay him the money he asked to be paid. But you know who you're getting in the bed with and making and making a movie. I'm sorry, but whenever I cast actors, I check out their Facebook, their Instagram, their twatters, their everything. And larger companies... They do it a lot better than me. They do background checks and all of that. So you know what's there. You can't say you didn't know. It's just that they didn't want to pay the money, and that's what it comes down to. And we're seeing that again with Scarlett Johansson. It's it's a Disney theme. But I can't blame Don Cheadle for taking it. And you know what? Don Cheadle made it his own. He didn't copy Terrence Howard. He did it his own way. And I I have to take my hats off. It's a It's a shitty situation. But it's a situation that happened, and I think everyone handled it with vim and verm, you know? I, I think they did well. So, as far as that, my, my big thoughts on it are just going to be, you know, my basic thoughts on Don Cheadle as Rhodey in this movie. So, yeah, I, I agree. He did have such a different energy, and for me personally, even in just this movie, I did start to gravitate a little more towards Don Cheadle's version. We have certainly had much more time but even in this one, I just liked the slightly more thoughtful approach um, this Rhodey had. Terrence Howard seemed to be kind of playing Rhodey as a very trying-to-be-by-the-book, just had seen some action, but was still pretty 
strict in that Don Cheadle's roadie, even this early on, kind of had a sort of seriousness to him. Like, he wasn't afraid to joke. He was definitely, you know, Tony was definitely someone that he was, you know, willing to be a little more lighthearted with. But especially when he's interacting with other soldiers, with his superior officers, there is a very, there's a very grave energy to this version of Rhodey in a lot of ways. Um, he does seem to fully understand what it means to fight, to, you know, be in these situations. So I'm going to get into my thoughts on the overall uh, War Machine plotline in this movie. Mostly I feel like there was a little too much time spent on it, but I'll explain what I mean by that in a sec. So I do like the scene where he's bringing in the Iron Man Mark II armor, and uh, you have the other soldiers noticing that. And there is a marked level of respect that they clearly have for Rhodey. It's, it is this level of, you know, admiration that he was able to get a hold of the armor, and then also just respect. It's like, okay, yes, this is also definitely the person we would want piloting it from, from now until forever. But, um, so o- overall, I really liked him. Um, again, he managed, had a really good chemistry with, uh, um, Robert Downey Jr. That was fantastic and overall pretty enjoyable. As we've all mentioned at some point, this movie had, like, way too much going on. War Machine is one of those plot lines from the first movie where we kind of already knew in the first movie. Like, that moment that Rhodey has, looks at that Mark II suit and says, Oh yeah, next time. It's like, we kind of already know that he's Tony's best friend. He is definitely willing to put on a suit of armor, so... You already guessed that he was going to be wearing a suit of armor, that suit of armor, sooner or later. Um, you knew he was going to be War Machine sooner or later. And they spent a weirdly long, fairly convoluted time trying to explain specifically <laughs> why this armor's in this movie, why it has these armaments. We got them from Justin Hammer, and it's like... Or you could, pretty early on, have Tony and Rhodey, like, trying out that suit and have Rhodey mentioning that, you know, it could use more armament... And Tony's like, no, nah, I should be a little conservative. And, you know, Rhodey's giving shit for it. And then later on, he does eventually get the armor. And Rhodey, to his delight, sees that, you know, Tony did outfit it with all the weapons that he wanted on there. It's like, oh, man. But, so my, my opinion is that it didn't need to be as complicated in a movie where there's already so much going on. But I did like Don Cheadle's Rhodey. And I don't hate the storyline. It's just that if you have so much going on, you really have to care about which plot lines you're giving attention to so maybe if your main character has a plot line that feels like it doesn't have enough attention going to it which frankly happened in this movie you probably should not spend that long on what is frankly a side plot (laughs) (laughs) yeah i hear what you're saying zach i I, i'm i'm a little bit as far as you know the the whole thing about the war machine storyline i i feel a little conflicted about that and i i i actually liked the way they did the war machine storyline i actually think it's one of the stronger subplots in this movie Mm -hmm. to be honest i I genuinely do um i just think it's kind it was kind of a bitch move to not not necessarily even just take the 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 armor because like i totally see where he's coming from in terms of uh after you know after his drunken antics at his party, it's like, look, you you clearly are not being responsible with this, and I'm, you know, you 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 kind of given up your your Iron Man privileges, and I'm gonna go take this armor to somebody else. I get that, but taking it to Justin Hammer of all people, 
That was kind of a bitch move. I'm not going to lie. Like, uh... <laughs> to be fair, that is clearly not Rhodey's decision. He brought the armor to the U.S. military. They're the ones who immediately said, it's like, all right, now we're going to get this thing outfitted by Justin Hammer. And Rhodey, like, clearly has objections. They're like, nope, that's an order. So that's that would not have been Rhodey himself's choice. Yeah, like he, when we see him doing it, he's already stripping down the armor himself. It's pretty clear that he wants his team of engineers to be working on this armor, yeah, um, to be refitting it. And I go back and forth on the on this scene when I rewatch this movie, but I, I think this most recent time, I I did actually like the scene of the uh, the him fighting the drunk Iron Man after after his party. Like I, th- I thought it was a cool scene, and I, I, I liked, yeah. the, I liked the idea of Rhodey recognizing how self-destructive Tony's being in this moment, and like, look, you're putting these people in danger. Because um, I always wonder, like, who all these random party guests are at Tony's house all the time. Like, who are these people? <laughs> Anybody who wanted to come and who he didn't knock off the list, mostly because they were like <laughs> hotter influencers or something. Exactly. <laughs> But anyway, um, recognizing that Tony is putting his guests in, in danger and saying, like, okay, I got I have to intervene, I have to do something, and, like, since he's in the suit, I have to be in a suit, too, in order to, you know, go toe-to-toe with this guy. So I enjoyed that sequence. Uh, I like them doing the, uh, you know, the thing, like, when Harry, Harry and Voldemort, like, connect their wands when they cast a spell at the same time. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's the, the same thing with the, 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 the you know, repulsor beams when they shoot at each other. And I like the fact they end up using that at, at the climax too. So I don't know. I did. Did you guys like that particular scene of the, that, that first little fight between Iron Man and, and who, who would eventually become war machine? No, that was fun. I, I genuinely, this is going to sound like a dig. It's not a dig. I did genuinely find it like fun and funny when they just had a bit of a rock'em sock'em robots moment and just yeah. like kept punching each other back and forth in the face for like a solid 20 seconds it's like okay that's what i like about it is that it shows that these armors are so durable that even when they're punching the shit out of each other like the actual people inside are they're not actually feeling any of this yeah <laughs> well it's like when he when tony picks up the weights and is like whacking dumbbells over uh <laughs> over over Rody's face i'm a weirdly kind of a sucker of when they like you know just insert the, the character's superhero name into dialogue. It was like, oh, you want to be yeah. the war machine? Come on, take your shot. It's like, I don't know. I, I enjoy it. It's, it's corny, but I enjoy those moments. <laughs> nah, <that's funny. laughs> yeah, one one fight scene I really did like. Not the end of it, which was just kind of, you know, big, dumb brawl, but I liked the I liked the first part of the uh, war machine. and The part where the war machine suit is still under control by Vanko. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that part, partially because there was some inventive use of the fact it's like, okay, so all of these characters, you know, they are all flying, they are all, you know, essentially weapons platforms, so we can actually have some really cool ideas here. Um, essentially have these, you know, dogfighting people that can switch to punching at a moment's notice, if need, if need be. Um, and I also really just like that dynamic of you, you have Rhodey actively, you know, warning and giving hints to Tony about what he needs to do. It's like, oh yeah, my suit's coming after you. I'm about to kill you. I'm trying not to. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sequence was cool. I actually do kind of prefer the, the end of that, actually, when, uh, when, Tony, when after Rhodey gets freed and he and Tony are in the, uh, the, the park or whatever. It's like, 
Alright, put the big gun up there. Oh, I had the whole banner before. It was like, oh wait, I'm the big gun. No, I thought I was the big gun. It's like, no, you want me down here. This is the kill box. And of course, there's been so much time arguing that they still end up in the kill box when all the drones... But I don't know, I, I thought that, but that, that whole action scene that comes from that, I think is actually cool. I think it's cool seeing, like, I, I, I like seeing Iron Man and War Machine for the first time fighting together. And then the, the, that cool moment at the end where Iron Man does the kind of, the, the, the lasers that he goes all around in. I, I thought it was, I don't know, it's, it's a cool scene. I think, I think, yeah, it's, a, yeah. I think it's a fun, uh, I think it's a really fun fight scene. I, I, think, I think all the action scenes were actually very, very well done. And uh, and John John Favreau's fingerprints are still all over this movie. Like I th- again, Absolutely. I think it's again in the same way that the actors uh, help elevate a lot of these characters. I think John Favreau's direction helps to elevate the weak, the frankly kind of bad script that this movie has. So uh, any any other uh, any, anything else that you guys want to touch on, or do we want to move into the overall thoughts? I'm ready for the overall thoughts. Yeah, same here. Start with Troy today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my overall thoughts on this movie. They put a lot of hard work into it. The actors put a lot of hard work. John Favreau, his team. Uh, the fight scenes are pretty fucking amazing. Uh, they're exciting. They're exactly what I need them to be. They're a popcorn flick <laughs> with little pops of plot for future movies. They're still sowing seeds uh, at this point, so that a crop can grow up. Now, that's how I feel about this movie. It's like the second movie of most trilogies. Mm-hmm. It, it has to get through certain points to get us to where it needs to be on the, on the third one. And I'm not saying Iron Man is a trilogy, but that's the way it acted in the in the whole mm-hmm. sense of the MCU. You know, this universe is building and they needed to add some things in. This movie was actually pretty good. They did what they could with the villains that they had, and it was a good setup. I, Mickey Rourke came in and slayed. Um, he did the best he could. And you learn a lot from stinker scripts. The movie wasn't a stinker, but the script, the script was a stinker. It really was. Everything was flat and you had to... Really think about where your character was going. No matter how small uh, your screen time was, you had to think about where your character was going and show us what your character meant. So with that said, I think the writing was weak to a degree. I don't know if it was meant to be flat and we're just trying to get this done and move along. Mm -hmm. Let's get these other points in. But the characters coming together was almost fucking genius, if that makes sense. The writing was was lacking but the movie in and of itself everybody came together and they kicked ass uh i enjoyed the movie i really do enjoy the movie but it's not one that lasts with me it served its purpose it got us where we needed to get and i enjoyed my popcorn and my cherry coke while i was watching this motherfucker so hey ten dollars well spent whenever it comes to grading it it's an above average movie it really is an above-average movie because they had enough money to put into its graphics. They had enough money to put into uh, top-notch actors that could really draw it out. So I have to give it a 6 out of 10. Mostly because of the script and because, you know, that love story with Pepper Potts and, and Tony Stark is... That's that's my. I probably take all three notches just because of that bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I kind of agree that I think the actors in this movie did a great job. I think the direction of this movie is actually really good. Um, does have a lot of exciting action scenes that are really well choreographed. The thing that really drags down this movie is that the script is not very good at all. Um, it has way too much going on. Um, characters, the actors are being asked, and they rose admirably to the occasion. Because again, I do actually love the cast of this. They rose admirably to the occasion, but they were still being asked to do too much. Um, they were not being aided by the script nearly well enough. And as a result, this movie feels extremely filler like there's very little that happens in this movie that wasn't going to happen anyways so there's no there's no surprises because even from the first iron man one of the things i liked about it is that it did have surprises like at the very end you know the big thing of tony revealing i am iron man it's like that's huge that's amazing it leaves you not knowing where you're going next iron man 2 you know exactly where you're going next it's like okay i see we built this up and it's just not as exciting i think the worst part about it is that none of the storylines that they chose are actually bad it's just that they didn't focus on them well enough and frankly writing wise the execution wasn't great on any of them again the actors and the director you know actually did step up um, to do what they could. So, ultimately, I'm giving this a 6 out of 10. It's not offensively horrible, but it is filler. We are all satanic worshippers on this podcast, because this is about to be 666, baby. Number of the beast. <laughs> the, uh, I, I very much... I agree with both of you. I actually... I think my opinion is, is closer to being in line with Troy. I think that this movie... I actually really liked this movie when it came out. I recognize it as being weaker than the first movie, even 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 when it first came out. But I think that when like, you got to remember, this was Phase One. This was the third movie in the MCU. It was just Iron Man and the Ed Norton Hulk were the only movies that we had before <laughs> this one. To be honest, at the at this time, I just took what I could fucking get. <laughs> that, really, that really was what it was like i just yeah. i just wanted to see i just wanted to see tony again i just wanted to see robert Downey jr just play this character again and have fun and be snarky the way that he is and going in with those expectations i was not disappointed by this movie i really wasn't <laughs> i i just i enjoy seeing him i enjoy seeing more iron man action i liked Again, the action in this movie was good. I agree with you, Zach. I think that this feels like a filler episode. If 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 the MCU is a TV show, this is an absolute filler episode. It kind of feels like the dollar store version of Iron Man One. It honestly does. Um, yeah. it's, it's it's not a bad movie. It honestly isn't. Like this is not. And sorry if you're a fan of this movie, but this is not Batman and Robin. You know, this is not, yeah. this is not Catwoman. <laughs> this is not Elektra. You know, it's not one of those. Oh my it's, God. It's not one of those. It's actually a decent movie. It's a very watchable movie. Listen, every time I watch this movie, I have fun watching it. I really do. Yeah. It is forgettable. It's absolutely forgettable, but I still have fun every time I watch this movie. Yeah. But the storyline is a complete mess. There's way too much going on. They should have like weeded out some of these extra storylines. But it's an entertaining movie. It's fun to watch. It is the weakest of the Iron Man movies and one of the weaker movies in the MCU for me. Although not my bottom one. There are actually a couple I put below this one. But I will also agree with you guys. I give it a six out of ten. I think I think that's I think that's right right on brand with this movie. 
I will go ahead and say that I do have a brief spoiler for a movie we're going to view eventually. Worst MCU villain is Malekith. <laughs> Worst MCU he, he's villain, got I, I would agree. He's got nothing. He, he's just flat. You know what? I, I hate to say this because I actually really love this movie, but I think that a villain that's basically just as bad as Malekith was Ronin from Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm going to I'm gonna be that's honest. Fair. I thought he was awful. Yeah. Yeah, Ronin <laughs> was horrible. I, Ronin, Ronin worked for me because... Because characters played off of him better. That's fair. Um, yeah. Yeah, but no, he, he's still pretty bad, and for much the same reasons. Yeah. I got two words. Well, it's going to be more words because I have to put my profanity in there. Right. Motherfucking whip lightsabers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like whip. whip listen, I, I say this a couple of times. Whiplash is fucking cool. You know, whether yeah. his character well, yeah. is as well written as he could be, the character is fucking Those whip cool. lightsabers for, really yeah, is. that moment where his shirt burns Fucking off. awesome! It's fucking awesome. Yeah. I like it. Fucking awesome. Well, we'll go ahead and wind down this episode of Nerd <laughs> Shit. Zach, where can the folks find you at? The folks can find me on Facebook under Zachariah Schneider. They can also find me on the Twitters at Zachariah Schnee 4. Zachariah S-C-H-N-E-4. You can find me on Google under Troy Hensley, T-R-O-Y-H-E-N-C-E-L-Y. You can find me uh, from there. You can find me just about anywhere. The Troy Hensley on Twitter, because I am the motherfucking Troy Hensley. And uh, I am Troy Hensley under everything else. I am Sam Wilson, not the one from Marvel. I'm the different Sam Wilson, discount, Dollar Shore Sam Wilson. You can find me on Instagram at SCWilson underscore actor. That's S-C-W-I-L-S-O-N underscore A-C-T-O-R. You can follow my band Running Riot at Running Riot Band on Instagram and Facebook. And you can follow Nerd Shit at the Nerd Shit Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at the Nerd Shit on Twitter. We release episodes weekly. Make sure you're subscribed on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Again, you're listening to us now, so you found us somewhere. Just make sure that you hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, leave us a rating. Up next, new movie, The Suicide Squad. James Gunn, The Suicide Woo! Squad, brand new movie, J- just just came out. Actually, not out yet by the time of uh, recording, but by the time this comes out, it will be out. So we are gonna we are gonna watch that and review that next up. Very much looking forward to seeing that. For Zach Schneider, yeah. Troy Hensley, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Stay shitty, nerds. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. So strap on it. Because we're talking about the Nerd Shit.